Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. College football week one is upon us. Utah takes on Florida, Oregon, and Georgia, and of course, the classic top five battle between Notre Dame and Ohio State. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's bleav five zero to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online where the game starts. All right, everybody. However and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of Wired Up. This is Wired Up episode 121, 121, got that right here on the Take It Easy podcast, here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome in, everybody. It's been about three months since we have turned on these microphones on a Sunday, and Wired Up was originally created to talk about college football Saturdays on the Sundays before NFL football. And uh, this year, we're going... Last year, you may remember, we had a Memes of the Weekend podcast come out on Monday, we had an NFL Monday every week. This week, we are going to combine Memes of the Weekend into a College Football Monday and an NFL Monday. The two will be combined. We'll talk about both. And uh, we'll have an, a College Football Monday Week 1 coming up this week. But for today, I wanted to talk exclusively about the Notre Dame and Ohio State football game that we witnessed here on Saturday. Call it the post-game show for one of the rare top five matchups in college football. I know it's top five matchup by the preseason rankings, and the preseason rankings are always debatable, especially when we're talking about a team like Notre Dame, where they are in what I like to call the tier two group of college football teams, where they may rotate in a playoff spot every couple of years. They have a lot of four stars on their team. They get transfers from Big Ten schools like Penn State and Northwestern that will uh, upgrade of sorts and go to Notre Dame. Ultimately, this was a matchup between a Tier 2 program and a Tier 1 program, and we usually get about seven of those every year during college football. Like any time two top 10 programs play each other, it's about like seven times a year in college football, and those are probably the seven must-watch games during the college football regular season of course Ohio State came into this week's game favored by 17 points against Notre Dame so it wasn't so much about the result of the game more than it was the game itself and having uh, one of those three powerhouses who get all the five-star players being Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama but it used to be Clemson and now it's Georgia because Georgia invested tons of resources in their program so that they can lose like seven players to the NFL, come back, and basically while their starters were in their game, not one single time get stopped 
uh, get prevented from scoring a touchdown by the Oregon defense. Through three quarters of the game, the Oregon defense presented prevented zero yards of offense from the Georgia Stetson Bennett-led team. Hey, Georgia, are you looking forward to the national championship game? Of course you are. But you know what else you could be looking for? A new, used, lightly used, upgrade or downgrade on your car. If you're looking for the best options out there on the market, then you need to come on down to the one and only Stenson Bennett Kia Chevy Subaru Honda Volkswagen of Georgia. That's right, not only is Stenson Bennett the quarterback of the national championship contending Georgia Bulldogs, but he's also here to give you the best deal. You see, Stenson has no real future prospects in the NFL, and as a walk-on football player at the University of Georgia, Stenson is here to sell you all of the wonderful new used trade-ins, slightly upgrade or slightly downgraded cars at your disposal. Get a fantastic 2022 off your latest purchase or trade-in if you get in before the national championship game and if georgia wins the national championship game which they will not you will get a whopping 22 percent off championship bonus on a brand new kia chevy subaru honda or volkswagen so come on in today to the one and only Stenson Bennett Kia Chevy Subaru Honda Volkswagen today. Georgia was totally overwhelming. Alabama's going to be totally overwhelming. And traditionally, Ohio State is overwhelming. As we saw last year, they scored 52 points in the bowl game or in the Rose Bowl game against one Utah Utes team. And uh, they didn't even have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave or most of the people who went to the NFL draft because it's a rotation of four and a half and five star guys at these programs. The backups on these teams are usually freshmen, four and a half and five star recruits. Hence that we got to learn about Ejbuka. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Egbuka, the wide receiver for Ohio State, who's their wide receiver three and yet was totally overwhelming in the game against Notre Dame. So Ohio State gets top prospects all over the place, and they're one of those three programs who we pencil into the college football playoff every year and bemoan as the tier one programs. I personally don't bemoan Ohio State always being good. I want to see Ohio State play against Bama because it's basically a version of NFL football. It creates the most entertaining product. I love when Alabama plays Georgia, and I understand that they should probably only play once a year in the championship game, the SEC championship game, I mean, when we're talking about Georgia and Alabama, and they will meet in the four-team college football playoff because there are only three programs that collect most of the four-and-a-half and five-star recruits. So that was a long-winded way of explaining Notre Dame and Ohio State was a Tier 2 program made of pretty much all four stars in Notre Dame and a five-star in Georgia, and well, a team of mostly four-and-a-half and five stars in Ohio State and Georgia and Alabama, but then you have the Tier 2 teams like Texas A&M and Notre Dame and Michigan and teams like that that fight over the four-star players uh, that are a tier below what Georgia and Ohio State and Alabama have. Just a kind of synopsis of the state of college football right now as we get into post-game for Notre Dame and Ohio State. 
Because this game was super duper interesting for a bunch of different reasons. And obviously Ohio State ended up winning. It did not look like Ohio State was going to end up winning the entire way through this game. And that was part of what made the game so interesting. And Ohio State was down 10-7 to pretty early in the fourth quarter. And Notre Dame had the lead most of the way. They were holding Ohio State through one of the best defensive performances all season. And it was really interesting to watch because if you asked me before, and and technically we had talked about this on podcasts like with Juju on the Slump Buster, and when we talked with Brandon Lang last week of, uh, you know, famed movie Two for the Money played by Matthew McConaughey, gambling expert, we did talk about Ohio State and Notre Dame in those contexts and talking about how Ohio State should have been able to score at will like they did against Utah and would have been able to hold Notre Dame to, I don't know, say 10 points on 9 of 15 passing and their only score was going to be a fullback run diving into the end zone on a 14-play drive in which like there were only four rushes, four passes the entire drive. That's what you would have guessed if you were doing the analysis on what Notre Dame's offense would look like, it would have been exactly what happened in that game against Ohio State on Saturday. Well, I guess today it's Saturday, but you're listening to this on Sunday. And I was thinking about this with context to last season, because last season in Week 2, you may remember Oregon beat Ohio State in Ohio State, and we came back and talked about how interesting it was that Oregon had built this West Coast program that had the resources to rival USC and the the obviously Phil Knight money. And we talked about that from the Oregon context. What was interesting from the Ohio State point of view was that in 2021, Ohio State got beat by Oregon with a crazy rushing performance and a lot of their own defensive miscues. Like there was an 80-yard touchdown run. There was a punt return. Ohio State had a bunch of weird defensive miscues, and that was the reason that they lost that game to Oregon. Their offense played okay, not great. Like it was C.J. Stroud's first start, and they kind of got a pass. But their offense wasn't terrible. Like they were able to move the ball down the field. Olave had an awesome game. It, I think Garrett Wilson was hurt for a portion of the game. It wasn't super-duper surprising, though, that Ohio, it wasn't surprising that Ohio State was able to move the ball on Oregon. What was interesting is that Ohio State couldn't stop Oregon defensively. And then we saw at the end of the season, after Ohio State beat the shit out of Penn State and beat the shit out of Michigan State and beat the shit out of everyone on their schedule, because again, they have four, they have better players on their second string than top 15 teams in college football. Because Ohio State is a factory of four and a half and five star players from every recruiting class. Now some of them are going to Texas A&M. They get sprinkled in other places. Of the top 50 players in each college football class, the guys you know are going to get drafted with 97% certainty. Ohio State has a handful of them. Georgia has a handful of them. Alabama has a handful of them. And that level of talent makes it unfair against playing the Tier 3 and Tier 4 teams. And when they play a Tier 2 team, it's an interesting matchup. And it's also a matchup where they're favored by 17 points against Notre Dame and 17.5 points against a Top 10 Michigan State team. And so, last year, Ohio State got beat by Oregon in Week 2, and Michigan in the last game of the season was the first time in 10 years and second time in 20 years Michigan had beat Ohio State. I know I'm exaggerating a little bit, but... 
we saw Michigan do the same thing to Ohio State that Oregon did, which was 42 points in three quarters, pretty much running the ball the entire time. Even in uh, Ohio State's bowl game against Utah, they gave up 48 points, and part of that was a punt return. Part of it was a kick return. Uh, Ohio State had a like corner breakdown on one play that was a long touchdown, but they gave up a shit ton of points in those games. What was interesting about Ohio State and Notre Dame, and kind of doing like a little bit of X's and O's analysis, I know I say all the time, like I'm not, I'm not in depth enough with the football analysis to do like. Uh, zone scheme breakdowns and two high safeties and linebacker flips but one of the things I noticed in this game was that Ohio State couldn't connect on passes because Notre Dame was either putting pressure in three to four man rushes which is interesting because you don't usually see that type of strategy against a team that has really good offensive linemen they were putting pressure on Ohio State and were able to zone cover the defense. And I thought that was interesting because Ohio State basically had the exact same stat line through three quarters as Notre Dame. Like they missed a field goal to go to half and it was 10 to 7, but it basically should have been 10 to 10. Notre Dame and Ohio State both had 100 passing yards, both had 60 rushing yards on like 16 to 17 carries. Uh, Ohio State was averaging five yards per play. Notre Dame was averaging 5.4 yards per play. They were basically the same team through the first three quarters of the game. And I thought that was interesting because I expected Ohio State's defense to play exactly how they played against Notre Dame. They are a team that will suffocate the run, which is Notre Dame's specialty, and they will dare you to pass where they have four-star cornerbacks guarding three and a half to four star receivers and Notre Dame has one really good tight end because Notre Dame always has one really good tight end but specifically in this case Michael Meyer who is or Michael Mayer I think is how you say it that guy is really really good for Notre Dame point still stands though Notre Dame is a run first offense they've invested in running backs over the years and their quarterbacks are like most big 10 guys where Uh, They're just there to be basically like Kirk Cousins or like Sean Clifford's or just guys who kind of like carry water so that they can get to uh, the running game. That's basically Notre Dame's bread and butter. And I thought it was interesting that Ohio State played exactly the the defensive game I would have expected. And their offense was neutralized in the same way that Notre Dame the Notre Dame's offense was neutralized, which was expected. And I'm interested to see if this is a byproduct of Notre Dame just has a really good defense and we're all learning it in the same week, or if this is one of those situations where Ohio State has to revamp their offense as the season goes along. Because like we were talking about before, there was really good defensive pressure applied by Notre Dame because they were able to rush the passer with four and sometimes three players and obviously I'm not going to do the thing where I overreact to the first week of the season there's some things to learn and uh, last year if you may remember this exact game the primetime Saturday night week one game was Georgia and Clemson and it was like 10 to 3 was the final score and everyone thought what is wrong with Clemson's offense? And while that was true, like Clemson was not as good of a team as they were last year, it was also, hey, Georgia has the greatest defense any of us have ever seen, and Clemson's offense is not top 10 because DJ Oyunglele was never going to be Trevor Lawrence 
or Deshaun Watson, which carried Clemson to a lightning-in-a-bottle six-year run of dominance where they won two national championships and played in four. Even though DJ Oyungalale was a five-star prospect and also the guy in Dr. Pepper commercials, but even five-star prospects don't work out. If you get enough of them, though, like Georgia and like Alabama and like Ohio State, you can overcome a lot of those deficiencies. And so I'm not going to jump the gun there and do the overanalyzing week one thing. I think it's going to be interesting to find out. Is it Notre Dame's offense? I'm sorry, is it Notre Dame's defense being really, really good? Or is it Ohio State's offense needing to be reworked? Was it Jackson Smith and Jeeba getting hurt early in the game and not returning? even though his replacement is also a a four-and-a-half-star recruit who had like 100 yards on 10 catches in the game. It's somewhere in the middle, I assume, because most of these things are nuanced and complex. We just don't have a large enough sample size to evaluate what Notre Dame's defense is going to be, what Ohio State's offense is going to be. We have what the team is on paper, which is, for Ohio State, a team that's going to win every single game this year, win the Big Ten Championship, and go to the college football playoff and play Georgia in the two versus three game or play Alabama in the two versus three game, or maybe they get the number one seed because Alabama and Georgia lose a weird upset. That's just what we have on paper. That's what I assume is going to happen. I thought it was interesting that say Georgia beats the living crap out of Oregon, whereas Ohio State's offense struggled to play Notre Dame, while Ohio State's defense does exactly what we've seen Ohio State's defense do for seven consecutive seasons, which is when they play a top 15 team that likes to run the ball with a traditional Big Ten offense. And I know Notre Dame's not in the Big Ten, but they like to run that traditional Big Ten offense with just a bunch of stocky white guys at quarterback who go against Notre Dame 9 for 15, 100 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions which up until the third quarter was the stat line for Notre Dame's quarterback, whose name I forgot right now, but Notre Dame's quarterback who was winning that game with a 9 of 15, 100 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions performance. But we've seen Ohio State do that to defenses for, I mean, we've seen them do that to top 15 and top 10 defenses for 15, not 15, let's say seven years, going all the way back to Right after they won that first national championship with Cardell Jones, they became a powerhouse program that that transitioned seamlessly from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day because they have these infinite resources and knew the program CEO that would carry the water and get every resource to continue building such a program, and that was Ryan Day. And Ohio State gets to move on from the guy who covered up domestic assault and, uh, you know, is Urban Meyer, who somehow snuck his way back into the Fox broadcast while we weren't looking. He's on that uh, Fox pregame show, which I'm sure with due time will become evident because I don't think the Fox pregame show has done a, a big noon Saturday yet. But you'll see Urban Meyer there. He snuck back. He snuck through the back door as a U.S. or as a no, uh, as the Jacksonville Jaguars fired him in one of the most catastrophic failures of a coach anywhere in sport and I don't think Urban Meyer is going to get another job because he's too good for any of the jobs that will actually offer him the head coaching position that was my weird way of transitioning into the conclusion that I wanted to draw from this game which is if you are Notre Dame going into this game I said and I said the same thing about Oregon and Georgia these types of games are measuring stick games how close are you going to get to the team that's full of 
guys whose backups are better than many of your starters. Notre Dame may have one to two to three day one and day two draft picks over the next few years. Ohio State will have 10. So there are some players at Ohio State who are better as backups than your starters are right now. Maybe they won't be right now. They will be in the future. Like freshmen on Ohio State's team are start, or are, will start in two years and be better than the current best players on Notre Dame. So, you know, that's kind of what I mean. Coming out of high school, the backups on Ohio State are better than Notre Dame's starters at this point. And going into that game, you're a 17-point underdog, even though you're ranked number five in the country. And Notre Dame was an interesting game for myself to watch because... I wanted to see what Marcus Freeman was going to be as head coach. And the reason I wanted to see what Marcus Freeman and that team was going to look like is this wasn't a traditional, we get a new coach, we're going to be bad for a year because the transfer portal exists. Notre Dame kept a good portion of their roster together. And the players who were replacing guys who left, like the the starting quarterback, uh, their starting safety in the game, who they replaced someone who went to the NFL they were predominantly in-house replacements. Now, they did have one really, really good corner from Northwestern who transferred to Notre Dame uh, because he was like the number one on a Northwestern team that two years ago made the Big Ten championship game, and he had like an MVP performance guarding Marvin Harrison Jr. up until like right at the end of the game when they kind of ran out of gas and were running the ball down their throat. But for three quarters had like an MVP performance guarding Marvin Harrison Jr., the the transfer corner from Northwestern that was playing this game. But I was interested in this because I thought Marcus Freeman being promoted was the easy move to make for Notre Dame. It Notre Dame had the opportunity to make a splash higher, and they chose to preserve continuity when I felt like continuity wasn't really worth preserving. You heard me back in December when we were talking about this where I'm like, Making the short-term hire to preserve continuity usually doesn't work out. Usually doesn't work out in college football. And, and Ed Orgeron won a championship at LSU, and that's the, the example that was held up. I would argue that even through a championship, that might be a failure at LSU because five years later he was fired and the program is in disarray. When they're one of these programs that's like Texas, where they have infinite resources they win national championships and they underperform. LSU is like this great exception across 20 years. Um, but you could point to Clay Helton being hired at USC. You could point to Manny Diaz being hired at Miami. I know he had the weird pit stop at Temple in between. When you make those short-term hires because, say, a coach retires or a coach leaves for another job— Preserving continuity in the transfer portal era specifically feels like a losing battle. And one of the surprising things that we saw over the last, say, seven months is everyone falling in love with Marcus Freeman because the players really, really loved Marcus Freeman. And you saw, uh, I forgot his name, Tommy Tommy Shepard, maybe? That might be the general manager of the Wizards, but uh, the quarterback's coach for Notre Dame, who's now the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, who had like was being offered by all sorts of jobs when Brian Kelly left, and he stayed at Notre Dame after two thousand. After Brian Kelly left, stayed at Notre Dame, 
wanted to coach with Marcus Freeman was pursued by Miami and Texas A&M and LSU. It was interesting that the players rallied behind him. Players stayed and were promoted through the pipeline system. And Notre Dame is going to be interesting to watch this year because fighting to preserve what already existed feels like a losing battle. And perhaps they have the investment in like, hey, Marcus Freeman is going to be able to develop. Marcus Freeman is going to be able to recruit. Uh, He's going to bring people in through free agency. I know it's the transfer portal, but let's call it free agency. He's going to be able to bring people in like the Northwestern corner who absolutely dominated this weekend. Like this will be a quick turnaround and preserving continuity is worth it. I don't think we have a large enough sample size in the transfer portal era to conclude one way or another. And it would be unfair to Marcus Freeman to say you are going to be this because it doesn't work in the past. I just felt like when it was hiring, what's the point of preserving a situation where Notre Dame was going uh, nine and three, ten and two, and you want to bring in whoever the next great coach is going to be? And I I think that I'm going to be wrong in hindsight with this. And I've obviously reserved the right to say I was wrong, and I've already—I guess I've already said—I'm probably going to be wrong on this one because Notre Dame looked really good, and people really rally behind Notre Dame. And Notre Dame has been an interesting team where they have been incredibly, incredibly successful over the last 15 years by any stretch of the imagination in college football. Brian Kelly is a great coach; it was a well-run team. They don't invest financially the same way that LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia does. And by the way, they don't want to be that team that invests those types of resources. And I'm interested in how Notre Dame, with their own television contract, their own independence, and the changing landscape of college football, how they navigate that space from like a business standpoint, which is part of what we'll talk about on Monday's episode of our College Football Monday From the football standpoint, I think I'm going to be wrong about this one because preserving continuity looks like it's going to immediately land Notre Dame a 10-2 and season. And just like Notre Dame has tended to do in the past, it looks like they are going to be the great exception across college football. Is that preserving continuity and fighting to keep Marcus Freeman and keeping all the players in place, which to me felt like a losing battle because... You cannot prevent free agency without the collective bargaining of college football. The way the rules are set up now, you cannot prevent free agency. Fighting to keep players around is not go- is going to be a losing battle because of the opportunities that are now available to players. And I thought that that was going to be a losing battle. And it appears that Notre Dame has pretty much promoted within the ranks couple of pieces here and there they didn't have a ton of transfers go to LSU which was interesting that people just didn't want to go play with Brian Kelly whereas uh, LSU was preseason predicted to go seventh out of seven in the SEC and they'll play Florida State this weekend and they should whoop up on Florida State although Florida State's now in year four of the Mike Norvell experiment even though they fell apart six years ago when Lamar Jackson swiped their soul from them LSU is projected to finish seventh out of seven They have to rebuild the program from scratch the way I thought Notre Dame would. And I'm interested in that because Notre Dame looks like they're going to be this exception to a general rule that exists, which is preserving continuity will be a losing battle. Because this idea of we're going to keep the team together and we're going to rally and start recruiting and do all that, it inevitably will flop. And if you don't give the coach the patience to see the process out for five years, it's probably going to fail 
And it didn't seem like Marcus Freeman was necessarily at the front lines of getting head coaching jobs at other tier two or tier three programs. It wasn't like, um, say, USC was lining up Marcus Freeman for an interview. Now, part of this is the racial elements of hiring in college football. Like college football has an even shittier track record for diversity hires than the NFL. So that might be part of it as well. I just didn't see Marcus Freeman getting interviews at places that were the programs the caliber of Notre Dame. Therefore, if his great advantage for keeping the job is that he recruited a lot of these players, he's familiar with the program, he can preserve continuity, like you see with USC, like you saw with Miami. Uh, LSU is this like weird success, but also not a success. Uh, you could point to Boise State. Uh, you could point on de- you could point to the successes of going outside the ranks, like hiring Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss or hiring James Franklin after the um, Bill O'Brien departure. You could point to su- successes of building the program up from scratch with a person that you trust you've hired in the right space. Generally speaking, hiring outside the program and spending the resources on a proven success of a coach and just giving them resources that they didn't have in another place. It's a more successful model. And again, Notre Dame is probably going to prove me wrong in in retrospect here because of the fact that they didn't really like Brian Kelly and the fact that they opened the season and immediately whooped up on Ohio State. And I thought that was really interesting. And I've changed my thoughts on this in that when it was first happening, I'm like, oh, I feel pretty strong conviction this isn't going to work out for Notre Dame. Like within two years, they're going to be seven and five. They're going to have to re-recruit everybody, which, you know, Marcus Freeman might be someone who is strong as a recruit, but ultimately recruiting is about resources and Notre Dame has tier two or tier three level resources. And it's not going to look as good as Brian Kelly is because we know Brian Kelly is one of the better coaches in college football. He's (laughs) across 10 years at Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame has overachieved based on where their rankings should be every single year. Notre Dame being a tier two program, despite the resources that they spend, despite not being in a conference, despite having their own independent TV contract, you know, Notre Dame is not, and the, the priority of the university to move away from football over the last 40 years as Notre Dame's one of the biggest private institutions in all of America. And, like most of the private institutions that are into college football, like Stanford and uh, I guess you could say previously Miami and Northwestern and uh, say the University of Illinois and schools in the Big Ten who I guess have resources. Basically the schools that uh, Duke, you could focus on them too. The schools that prioritize academics of being like the Ivy League of the South, the Ivy League of Indiana, Stanford is the Ivy League of the West. One of those those top private institutions that have that prestige reputation don't invest the over-the-top resources that, say, an Alabama or a Texas, where more of their business model is contingent upon the success of the football team. And so Notre Dame has more resources than, say, Ole Miss, if they had wanted to hire Lane Kiffin. They have more resources than, say, Coastal Carolina, if they had hired Jamie Chadwell, And you're betting on someone who can find value within the margins, who builds up a program with less resources. If you give them resources, they will still be able to find value within the margins. That's what you're betting on with those coaches. And and they went for preserving the system that was already in place, which, again, I believe is more likely than not to be a losing battle. 
I will just say now that after watching the offseason play out and after watching the first game for Notre Dame, I feel less conviction than I did back in December that this is not going that this is going to fail for Notre Dame. And by fail, I mean Notre Dame will not reach the the state that they were three years ago and four years from now. They will be in a worse off position than where they were, say, had they hired one of these coaches who would have built the program back up from scratch and you put faith in that you have hired the correct person, which is never perfect in the first place. I just feel like it's a better probability of success if you hire a Lane Kiffin or if you hire a Jamie Chadwell or if you hire a Matt Campbell from Iowa State than if you had promoted from within your own program. And I have less conviction than before. I have more faith in Marcus Freeman specifically and Notre Dame to be this great exception. And I think that they can win 10 games right off the bat. I mean, just based on their performance against Ohio State and looking at their schedule for the season. 10 games, reasonable expectation, make a New Year's Six Bowl game in the first year. And if you can keep that going, you might not get back to the college football playoff. That's just a really high bar to hit. It just gives you an increased probability. And I think winning 10 games and making the college football playoff or make winning 10 games and making two premier bowl games and having two top 15 finishes, that is proving me wrong. That is proving what I thought would happen with Notre Dame wrong. And uh, I'm guessing we won't talk about Notre Dame much the next six to seven weeks. So I guess we'll revisit this again in a couple months or a few months and see uh, what the state of the Notre Dame football program is. Because like I said, I have less conviction than I did back in December that Notre Dame is going to flop. I still think the odds suggest that this is not going to succeed for Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman and that they will be a, a, a tier four program or a tier three program instead of continuing to be a tier two program. And at the same time, I have less conviction that that's going to be the case because if Notre Dame makes a New Year's Six Bowl game each of the next two years, that means they're still a tier two program. And if they're still a tier two college football program, that means they did not take a step back with Brian Kelly. And that means preserving the system that was already in place was a success. And I will have been incorrect in my assessment that Notre Dame was going to fail in trying to preserve whatever Brian Kelly had built by keeping Marcus Freeman and keeping Tommy Reese. I just remembered the offensive coordinator's name, keeping Tommy Reese and just trying to keep everyone in tow because it doesn't really work in the, in the free agency college football era. And it never worked before players had the rights that they have now. So I will conclude once again by saying I have less conviction and uh, say at the end of the season or late in the season this year on one of our college football Monday podcasts, perhaps we'll revisit this evaluation of the Notre Dame football program. So thanks for stopping in here to the return of Wired Up and the return of college football season. Make sure to leave a five-star review on the show. Leave your thoughts in the in the comment section below and get send your thoughts to me on Instagram or Twitter. There's links in the description to this episode for not only all of our social medias, but also our podcast documentary series, The Fall of the Spurs Dynasty, which we made back in July. And uh, it's still available wherever you get podcasts if you want to listen to a fun four and a half hour documentary picture of the San Antonio Spurs Dynasty. Thanks for stopping in, everybody. We've got College Football Monday coming up this week and a bunch of fun guests as we get ready for the first week of September and the first week of NFL football season. Take it easy, everybody.